Okay, my gardening friends, it is quickly approaching the time of year when we should start planning our gardens. Now, I know it feels like we just got finished with the gardening season, but the earlier we get started for next year, the better. To get you ready, I've laid out the first 10 steps that I take every time I start a new garden bed and at the beginning of every season before I even start to make my plan. Download my free guide by going to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash basics to get 10 steps that walk you through things like determining your site and doing a soil test, amendments, crop rotation, and more. That's justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash basics for 10 steps toward planning your best garden ever. This is Positively Farming Media. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. Throughout the month of December, we are doing something a little different around here. I am treating you to several episodes of some other podcasts where I was invited to be a guest. These will be some honest conversations about different topics related to farming and gardening with other podcasters within the Positively Farming Media podcast group on their shows. Last week, you heard my interview on the Rural Woman podcast with Caitlin Dubin, and if you missed it, I highly encourage you go back and listen. This week, I'm with Ashley Constance of A Little Self-Reliant podcast. You may remember Ashley from episode 98 here, all about getting started in homesteading, no matter where you are. During my episode on Ashley's podcast, we talked all about compost. Yes, one of my favorite topics. She asked some great questions, and I'm super happy to share that episode with you here. And of course, I will link to the A Little Self-Reliant podcast in the show notes so you can find more of Ashley when you're through here. Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen. I started gardening years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard, then moved to a five-acre lot outside city limits and expanded that garden to half an acre. What started as a way to provide for my family turned into a love for digging in the dirt and providing for others. Slowly, my husband and I built our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm through lots of trial and error and successes and failures. Eventually, I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, and along the way, I discovered there is power in food. So I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. This podcast is all about helping you become a better gardener and a better eater. Whether you're a seasoned gardener or have never grown a thing in your life, I want to give you the knowledge you need to get the biggest and best harvest you can. So settle in, grab that garden journal, and get ready to just grow something. Welcome to A Little Self-Reliant, a podcast designed to help you embrace a bit more self-sufficiency no matter where you're at. I'm your host, Ashley Constance, and my mission is to guide you towards practical and attainable skills to cultivate a more self-reliant life. Whether you live on a farm in the country or a house in the city, I believe that there is something for everyone in the world of self-reliance. If you love soul-centered conversations around growing food, sustainability, modern homesteading, and connection to the land that feeds us, then this is the place for you. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 22, Composting for Beginners, and today is Wednesday, July 6th of 2022. Welcome to July. I hope you are all doing well and enjoying your summer so far. 
Today, I have another awesome guest lined up for you. I am speaking with Karen Velez of the Just Grow Something podcast, all about composting for beginners. But before we get into it, I've got a little bit of housekeeping to go over. For announcements, first of all, I would like to welcome my newest patron to the group over on Patreon, and that is my friend, Caitlin Dubin. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for supporting this show and helping me to continue bringing these episodes to you all every week. If you'd like to join the patron gang, you can follow the link in the show notes or check out patreon.com slash a little self-reliant. Your support means the absolute world to me. The only other real announcement that I have today is that I am taking next week off of releasing a new podcast episode, so there will not be another new episode until July 20th. So I just wanted to give you all a heads up about that. And I do not have any new reviews to read this week, so if you haven't already left a review and you would like to hear it read on a future episode, it would mean so much to me if you could do that. Head over to your podcast player of choice and leave a rating and a review. This helps the show to be discovered by more people who are also on a journey of self-reliance. All right, so homestead update. We have been having a really slow start to the garden season over here. It has been significantly cooler than normal and very rainy in much of Alberta and I know a lot of BC as well, which is great because it means I haven't had to water my garden in weeks, but it also means that a lot of things just aren't really growing. My squash and cucumber plants haven't budged since I transplanted them. My beans are very slow to start. My peas are definitely going to be late. And it's tough not to get a little sad about this because our season is just so short here in zone three that we may actually not see some things through to completion and harvest this year, especially if we do end up getting an early frost. So that's a bit disappointing, um, but I am just trying to focus on the fact that I am not having to water very often and certain crops like carrots and greens and brassicas and potatoes are absolutely thriving in these cool temperatures. We finally moved our older flock of chickens into their new coop and run, which is the red scrap coop that Sean built that many of you have probably seen on Instagram. The run is surrounded by five foot woven wire fence, but I do have some flyers in the flock. So we actually ended up clipping one wing on every chicken, which was super, super easy. It was surprisingly simple, um, totally simple process. I was actually super nervous about it, even though I know it's harmless and it doesn't hurt them. But I am happy to say that it went incredibly smoothly. There are a few YouTube videos that we watched before we did it. So I will link those in the show notes if you want to check them out. The reason why we only clip one wing and not both is because only one is required to be clipped in order to prevent the chicken from getting very much lift when they try to fly. So they can still flap their wings and they can still get a little bit of lift, but the fact that one wing is clipped kind of throws them off balance if they do try to fly and they don't get very far. We did this because, as I have previously mentioned, we have a high prey drive dog who would love to take advantage of a free chicken dinner, so we don't want our girls flying out of their fence. Anyway, now that that's done, we can get the main coop deep cleaned and work on separating out the hens from our juvenile backyard mix flock and get them moved into their new digs. The other thing we've been dealing with over here is lots of goat stress. (laughs) If you listened to last week's episode, you know that I talked all about new animal anxiety and how challenging and all-consuming it can be, and I have really been trying to take my own advice this week. I won't go into too much detail, but we've just been dealing with some tummy issues with one of the goats, 
and it's been extremely, extremely stressful. On the weekend, I had myself so worked up to the point that I was like feeling sick. And I'm already a pretty anxious person as it is. And this whole thing has just been fuel on an already burning fire. She is doing better and things are slowly improving, I think. But once again, I am reiterating just how stressful new animals can be, especially unfamiliar ones. I don't have any experience when it comes to goats um, and I've never owned or worked with them before. So I really have like no baseline when it comes to what's normal and what's not. And just like with humans, when you get on the Google and look up the symptoms, all roads lead to, yep, this is it. This is how it ends. (laughs) This is how you die or this is how your goat dies or you know how it is, right? So anyway, I'm just trying to go easy on myself as I learn. But man, it is taking a toll on my mental health at the moment. I'm sure it will get better over time as I learn more and more. And I am so grateful for all of the support I have been getting from the online community of other goat people, um, kind of helping guide me through these first few weeks as I learn the ins and outs of taking care of these little girls. All right, so on to our main topic of the day, which is composting for beginners with Karen Velez of the Just Grow Something podcast. Karen calls herself a wannabe homesteader, although Karen, I beg to differ because you are doing the dang thing, (laughs) who also became a market gardener. And she loves to teach people about how they can grow their own food. She is passionate about soil health and preserving our natural environment for the next generation while still being able to properly provide for the current generation. Karen is an abundant wellspring of horticultural knowledge and gardening wisdom. And I just know you are going to love this conversation we had just as much as I did. Okay, let's get into it. Hello, Karen, and welcome to A Little Self-Reliant. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I am super stoked to talk with you all about gardening things and composting things and all of the goodness. But before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit more about you, where you're located, what you do, and how you got your start as a gardener and farmer. Sure. Boy, that's a mouthful. I guess in short, um, I was a U.S. Marine, uh, retired or medically retired from the Marine Corps, started a small little homestead, uh, became an accidental farmer, (laughs) and uh, started market farming um, shortly after moving to that five acres. And my husband and I have been doing that for 15-ish years now. After going back to school to get my degree in horticulture, I decided that I wanted to tell everybody how to grow their own stuff. So that's kind of who I am and what I do in a nutshell. Um, Getting started was, you know, being in a suburban area and providing for three kids at the time by myself. And um, ironically, I had no desire to garden. I hadn't started gardening at all. My daughter came home and announced that she was boycotting the school lunches and I had to figure out a way to make that work. And so I thought, well, let's throw something in the ground. Let's see if I can, you know, add to what I'm providing for my kids and got lucky the first year that it went really well. And when we moved, you know, shortly thereafter to the five acres, I think it was the next year or the year after that, I expanded that garden to um, about a quarter acre and then a half an acre and started the uh, the journey of learning how to garden properly without being lucky. That is all so cool. I love the story of your daughter's food choices inspired you to start growing a garden and look at you now. And I also absolutely love um, that you 
took a medical retirement from the Marines and turned it into something so beautiful. And you share your gift for growing food with your community. And you are located in Missouri, correct? Well, central Missouri. Um, we are just south of the Kansas City area in a little town called Peculiar. It's called Peculiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Okay, so on the topic of composting, you recently had a whole series of podcasts about composting that I just found so fascinating, which is why I wanted to bring you on here today. So most organic gardeners know that compost is considered to be garden gold, but for those of us who don't know, what exactly is compost and how does it all work? I mean, at the very basic of it, compost is simply just decayed organic matter. If you think about what Mother Nature naturally does, uh, say, in a forest area, and all of that dead plant and animal matter that resides on the forest floor breaks down, it decays. And as it's decaying, it is adding nutrients back into the soil. It's feeding the soil microbes. Those in turn are turning around and feeding the plants that are still existing in the forest. And that's the natural cycle of things. So that is the essence of compost. It's a mixture of all of these different ingredients that are breaking down and returning those nutrients back to other plants. We control that now in compost piles by taking our dead plant material, um, our food waste, paper products, and that sort of thing, and combining them all to mimic that natural process that happens in Mother Nature, and encouraging those those organisms like worms and soil fungi and mycelium and stuff to, to build in that pile. And in turn, then we add that back into our gardens to improve the soil fertility, and to improve the soil texture, and just kind of complete that whole cycle. Awesome. So this is the thing about compost on a very basic level. It is such a huge topic, but that was a really great explanation for a very kind of basic intro to what compost is. And for me, myself, as an organic gardener, I know that you can never seem to make enough of it, no matter what you do. So what are some of the different setups and systems that are available for home composters to use? You can be as basic as you want to be, literally just throwing things in a pile. We call it a heap. Just throw it there and let it do its thing. All the way up to the fancy tumblers. Um, They even have mechanical, what I call food digesters now, which really isn't truly composting, but it's still getting rid of all of your food waste. And this one actually lets you do meat and stuff like that. Um, But the idea is some sort of containment, whether it's something very basic, like just putting it in a pile um, or a managed, a managed pile, some sort of an area where you can contain it, um, you know, or you can do the compost tumblers where you're throwing it into an actual container, um, or you can um, dig it sort of in, in place in your garden and add the components that way. The main idea is gather those materials together somewhere where you can manage it because you're going to want to manage it for the amount of water content that's in it, the amount of air or oxygen that's in it, and the percentages of the components. How much of your brown stuff are you throwing in there and how much of your green stuff are you throwing in there? Once that pile gets to a certain size, um, you want it to have a little bit of mass so it can actually start to sort of cook in the center. Um, That's when you start to manage the level of oxygen. So it needs to be a system where you can turn it to give it 
some oxygen to give those microbes a chance to be able to breathe so they can continue to break down all of that stuff. Whatever is easiest for you as the gardener is the system that's going to work best for you. So if you don't have the time to mess around with turning and watering a compost pile and you just want to throw it into a corner and forget about it, that's fine. That's going to work for you. It's just going to take slower to break down. It's going to take longer for it to be a, a ready product that you can throw back into your garden. But if you want to give it a little bit of attention, you'll get a better, a better product out of it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense because I know on our property we have a few um, smaller kind of those like turning, you know, auto turning systems that we manage ourselves. And then we also have just like the big pile in the back 40 <laughs> that we just let it sit there and keep saying eventually it'll break down. Um, so can you speak a little bit more to the ingredients of compost? Like you talk about greens and browns, and I know that um, is open for debate when it comes to commercial composting versus home composting, but for the home composter, what can go in the bin or the pile? Um, and what are the ratios for that? You have to think there are, there are actually four ingredients that go into a compost pile, right? It's the greens, the browns, your oxygen, and your water. Your browns are the things that are the dried out materials, um, you know, dead leaves, branches, twigs, hay, straw, paper products to a certain extent. There's not a lot of quality food, for, for lack of a better term, in like cardboard and paper, but it does add some bulk to the pile, so it's fine to go ahead and use those things. So those are your browns. Your greens are the things like your food waste, the grass clippings out of your yard, manure from your farm animals. If you, you know, if you have chickens or rabbits or any other herbivore, that's good to add as a, a green. Um, these are your soft materials. These are the kind of fast-burning, high-octane fuel for your compost. It's the, the wet ingredients. Um, and then, of course, there is the water and the oxygen. Now, your browns and your greens, ideally, you want about half and half. You want that mixture. And this is where a lot of composters or a lot of gardeners who are trying to compost get tripped up because those green materials are always available to you. You constantly have garden scraps, vegetable scraps, grass clippings, and that sort of thing. The browns are a little bit harder to come by sometimes. They're more seasonal. So you have all your dead leaves in the fall, and you've got the branches and stuff from when you're trimming in the spring, but there's this long gap in there sometimes where none of that is available. So to counteract that problem, you can actually store your browns. And you can store them right there near your compost pile. So if you have tons of bags of leaves that you've cleaned up in the fall, don't add them to your compost pile all at once uh, because you're going to throw that balance off. Set it aside, and then as you're adding the greens during the heaviest part of the season, you can layer in those browns periodically. You can store the browns. You can't really store the greens. The, the greens are got, they're more wet. They're going to get funky faster. So you, you want to kind of add those browns slowly with the greens so that you can keep that, that balance going. The other thing is, you know, your pile should be moist. There should be water content to it. Um, technically speaking, it's about 40 to 60% moisture, but that moisture also includes those wet ingredients. So it's not like you should be watering your pile every single day. You shouldn't see a bunch of water running out of it, but you should be able to grab a handful of it from the center and kind of squeeze it and be able to get a little bit of moisture out of it. Um, too much water 
is going to choke out those microbes. Not enough water makes it to where they can't really move around the way they need to. So it's kind of a balance of just right. And that is probably one of the biggest problems with uh, home composting is you don't realize how much water and how much moisture it actually needs. So that's where a lot of people get tripped up. And then of course the oxygen component. Yes, you can just pile the stuff there and let it sit and break down. The reason it's gonna go very slowly is because those microbes that are responsible for doing the breakdown also need to breathe. And so they need that air space within the pile. And if you just keep piling it on, the center of it is just going to get heavier and heavier and heavier, and there is no air space in there anymore. So that's when you start going in there and you either take a pitchfork and flip the whole thing over or just pull it all out, rearrange it, shove it back in again. And that's where those compost tumblers come in handy. You know, if you don't have a large amount of stuff that you're composting, you can put it all into those tumblers and they make it easy for you to rotate and, uh, and get the aeration. Awesome. So you basically answered my next question, which was what are the most important things to know, do, and consider when it comes to composting at home. But on that topic, I also want to touch on things like pests. Like if you're composting in a city setting, um, in your backyard or front deck or whatever, can you expect to attract a lot of bugs, a lot of rodents, any other pests or anything like that? Yeah, and this is where the style of compost pile that you choose is going to be important because it really is going to be based on where you are. If you are somebody who is in a suburban area and you have a homeowners association and, you know, they're not going to be super happy with you having a pile of of stuff in the back corner, then you obviously need to choose a different system. Even if you are out in a rural area and you're, you know, like us, you're on 40 acres and you could put a pile anywhere, um, it still may not be the best idea because yeah, it's going to attract pests. You know, it's, if, if there's some good stuff in there, I guarantee the raccoons and the possums are going to come and find it and they're going to be digging through that compost pile looking for the good stuff. The one thing about like flies and stuff like that, that can actually be mitigated with the proper ratios. As long as you're putting in enough of those brown components, it's absorbing some of what the odor is going to be, um, and some, uh, and that that odor is what's responsible for drawing, you know, flies and insect pests, and it's also responsible for maybe, you know, ticking off your neighbors a little bit. So proper ratios is is what's going to help with that. But it may just be to the point where if if you are in a situation where that is a concern, you just create a more a more contained system, and and use that as your method of of composting. Okay, so when we speak about the most common challenges that a person may run into while composting at home, it really sounds like most of it can be mitigated by ensuring that you have the proper ratios of browns to greens and also ensuring that you have the proper setup for your particular situation. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't have to be fancy. You know, you can, it's amazing what you can do with a couple of of wooden pallets and, you know, you can create a, a decent compost bin with a cover that is going to keep out any pests. There are also 
plenty of less expensive options that you can find online that look better, look nicer, if you're worried about how it looks, um, that sort of shield the, um, the view of the actual contents of the pile itself from view. So it fits better into your garden or your landscape area. Um, and then there are the higher end ones, you know, that can either be buried in the ground so that you don't have to worry about it. Um, there are vermicomposting, you know, setups where you're, you're composting with worms. And uh, you know, there's a little bit more management that goes along with that because you have to understand how to work with, I mean, they're worms, they're living creatures. You got to be able to sift them out and, and do what you have to, you know, for them. But that's another option. And then, you know, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, they now have come out with these mechanical, I don't want to call them composters, I would call them food digesters, that essentially are taking all of your food waste to include your meat scraps and bones and whatever else coming out of your garden and essentially cooking it. And so it grinds it up, it cooks it, and then it grinds it up again and basically is turning your food waste into sort of a powder that you just add back into your your lawn or your landscape or your garden. Um, it's not an actual compost at that point because there it's not living anymore. There is nothing alive in it. But that is going to feed what is already alive in your garden. So if you've got a decent garden soil or you've already got some compost out there, you can use these types of things as a, as a resort of, you know, if you can't actually have a compost pile outside, that's another alternative. They're a little pricey, um, but from what I've seen, they're very effective. Yeah, I've seen a couple of those on the market as well, and uh, I, I need to learn a little more about them. I'll be honest, I don't know a whole lot about them, but it does seem like a really good solution for somebody who's maybe in a very small house with neighbors really close by who doesn't have a lot of space, or perhaps somebody who's in an apartment building or that kind of setting. And uh, vermicomposting is another one of those things that I've recently just gotten into, and I'm excited to talk more about that uh, in the future because that seems like a really good um, solution for people in small spaces as well. So in your experience, when is compost finished and how does one know when their compost is ready to go into the garden? It's easy for somebody who has dealt with compost, um, either by buying it or ordering it in, um, to know what the texture of compost, finished compost, is supposed to look like and feel like. And it's going to differ based on what the components are, what you have been putting into your compost. So essentially, it, you just want it to be broken down enough to be usable. It doesn't actually have to be completely finished. There's nothing wrong with pulling your compost a little early. It's the timing is just right for you to be adding it to your garden and allowing it to finish breaking down in your garden. So long as there aren't huge chunks of things that are going to attract those pests that want to come in and just pull it out of your garden, um, it's fine. You know, if it's been sitting out there for, for six months or so and it's like, hey, it's fall, I got to get this stuff added and you go ahead and add it, no harm, no foul. It's perfectly fine. The best way to manage that is to get yourself a soil thermometer, you know, which, hey, as a gardener, you should have one already. Um, you know, use that soil thermometer to test the internal temperature of your compost pile. A home pile is going to or should be getting up to around 140 degrees Fahrenheit for about three days in a row. Up to seven days would be great. It doesn't have to be continuously at that temperature, but it needs to hit that temperature for those three to seven days in a row. 
and that at that point you know that it's killing off most of the stuff that you really don't want to be in there and that it's breaking down um, you can turn it during this time too if it seems like it starts to cool off you turn it to get that airflow back in there that'll usually heat it back up again once it has gotten to that point then you know okay it can be used and there's not going to be too many problems with it now it's worth noting that this is the difference between home compost and commercial compost. Commercial compost, which would be anything that you're buying in a bag off the shelf or anything that maybe you're having delivered from a composting company that's out in town, um, is going to be heated to 160 degrees Fahrenheit. And generally that's going to be held at that temperature for an extended period of time. It is very, very closely managed. Now the benefit to this is you're not going to have weed seeds. It's, those are going to be killed off. It's going to break down anything that might have been a chemical input, like a pesticide or an herbicide from something that was added. It's going to neutralize that. It's going to get rid of any plant diseases or anything else that was in that pile that you do not want to add back to your garden. The downside to that is that temperature is also killing off all the good organisms and bacteria that are in there. So if you take commercial compost and you add it to your garden, you cannot expect that you are going to have immediate results from that addition because it's going to take a little bit for that compost that you just added to be inoculated with the bacteria and the microbes that are in your soil. So the best bet with commercial compost is A, you can either add it in the fall and let it break down over the off season to be ready to be used um, immediately in the spring or you can use it as a mulch during your gardening season and not turn it into the soil. It's going to keep the weed seeds out. It's going to, you know, keep the moisture in for your crops and then slowly start to add itself into, into your soil and add the nutrients that way and promote that, you know, biological life. The third thing you can do is actually have it delivered or, or pick it up and add it into your garden beds and mix it in with the existing soil. If you're filling a garden bed from scratch, you really do not want to fill it with nothing but commercial compost. It's not alive. It is not a living product at that point. And so your plants are going to have a very difficult time pulling any nutrients out of it. The texture likely isn't going to be what it prefers for its root systems. And you're going to have lackluster results for the few months. Now, later on down the road, four months from then, when it finally starts to kind of come back to life again, yeah, you'll have great results, but not so much in the first, in the first beginning. So this is one of the benefits to having at least some home compost because even if you don't create enough for all of your needs, you can use that home compost pile as the inoculant for the commercial stuff. So maybe the bulk of what you get is commercial stuff that you're adding, but then you add your own home compost to it and you've got those natural microbes and stuff that are already existing in there and it starts to feed off of the commercial stuff and it all comes back to life again. Right, okay. That makes a lot of sense. This is all so good. And you've got me excited once this snow stops to go outside and play in my compost pile and <laughs> try to nail this composting thing this year. So thank you for sharing all of that. So the last question that I want to ask all guests who come on the podcast is what is your favorite thing about living a life of self-reliance? 
I am a firm believer in the power of food. There are three things that we need as humans, as people, you know, that are like our, our basic needs and that's, you know, water, some sort of shelter and food, you know? And so to be able to provide any one of those three things for yourself, I think feeds our, I don't know, our innate need that maybe we don't recognize anymore. You know, it's sort of our caveman, you know, primal need there for, for, you know, providing for ourselves. There, there is nothing more empowering than that, you know? And so being able to, even if it's just one little thing that I've grown for myself that I can look on my plate and say, ha, I grew that, I grew that, you know? I think there's something visceral in that that a lot of people just don't get to experience anymore so i think that's my favorite part it's just that feeling that visceral feeling of yes i am providing for myself or my family or whatever i need you to know i have like full body goosebumps right now because <laughs> that's <laughs> that's exactly how i feel too and i remember the first time i listened to your podcast and uh your podcast which we'll talk about in a minute is called just grow something and hearing that phrase just like lit something up in me because that's what I'm all about as well is just like inspiring people to do what they can where they're at in the world of whether it's growing food or composting or whatever so um yeah thank you for sharing that that uh that got me got me in the feels (laughs) so where can listeners learn more about you and your podcast and all the things that you do and offer yeah, so the podcast is the Just Grow Something podcast. You can listen to it wherever you find podcasts. Um, you can listen to it directly from my website, which is justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. Um, you can follow me on Instagram or um, we're on Facebook. I've got TikTok. Like, just look for Just Grow Something and you'll be able to find me. Um, and then we've also got the farm, Wolf Creek Family Farm. Um, and that's also Instagram and Facebook and, and .com. And that's kind of you know, more about the, the farm on a larger scale. And uh, the Just Grow Something handle is more um, specific to gardening and gardening advice. So that's where I share a lot of the, uh, the, the words of wisdom on all things composting and gardening and everything else. Awesome. Well, you are definitely full of so much wisdom. So thank you for taking the time out of your day to hang out with us and share all of these great things. It has been an absolute joy to talk to you. I was so happy to be here. Thank you so much, Ashley. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, head on over to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com for all the episodes, show notes, blog posts, discount codes, and more. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. You can also head to Facebook and join a community of other gardeners asking questions and sharing their experiences in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. And if you want to support this show even further, head to patreon.com slash justgrowsomething to find out how. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning, keep growing, and we'll talk again soon.